Today's podcast is brought to you by Blue Canary. The bird has landed on beautiful Bainbridge Island, conveniently located at 499 Madison Avenue. ASE Master Technician Clint Ramsey brings over 15 years of experience, award-winning diagnostic skill, and a desire to reinvent the automotive repair experience. Schedule an appointment online at bluecanary.biz or call them today at 206-451-4220. Hey, it's Michael Fabiano here from SI.com, and I'm excited about the upcoming launch of the SI Fantasy Podcast. Myself, along with Dr. Roto and the Fantasy Executive, will get you ready for your fantasy drafts in 2020 and guide you to fantasy football glory. Get on board with the SI Fantasy Podcast and win your fantasy football league. This segment of the Bystander Podcast is brought to you by Eagle Harbor Insurance. We don't sell insurance, we help people buy it. This has always been their motto and continues. They understand every family has different insurance needs, be it coverage or premiums. No two cases are the same, and they will always do their best to guide you into the proper coverage to fit your budget. They are here to help anytime. Give them a call at 206-842-7410 or contact them online at eagleharborinsurance.com. I'm Maria Metzler, the Executive Director of Helpline House. The global pandemic has affected us all differently. If you or your neighbors need food assistance, mental health counseling, rental assistance, or parks and rec vouchers, please reach out. Helpline House can help in many ways. Find us on the web at helplinehouse.org. It's what we do. Neighbor helping neighbor. The Bystander Podcast, in partnership with Bainbridge Strong and the island's own Pegasus Coffee Company, is proud to offer this special release whole bean blend for a limited time. A medium dark roast of coffees from Colombia, Ethiopia, and Sumatra. It offers a balanced, full-bodied cup, perfect for virtually any pairing or occasion. $5 from the sale of each 12-ounce bag will go to Bainbridge-based small business or nonprofit of your choice at checkout. I got something for your mind, body, and soul. I got something for your mind, body, and soul. your host with the most, Tiny Tim. What's cracking, Podcastville? You found the Bystander Podcast. My guest today needs no introduction, Joel Underwood. How you doing, man? Good to see I you. I am super excited. This is the final debate. I'm sure we'll do a review after somebody gets somewhere, some with If somebody sometime. gets elected in December, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Okay, so um, this guy named uh, Donald Trump uh, faced off with this other old white privileged man, Joe Biden, last night in, what was it, Nashville? 
Is that correct? Well, it was Nashville, but but actually, um, just to take us back a week, I mean, we've had we've had a lot of good stuff. Like last week, we had the dueling town halls, right, where we were going to have uh, the second debate, but then, and I'm still sort of confused about NBC's programming decision to. And there's nothing wrong with them doing a Trump town hall, but to actually schedule it exactly opposite the Biden town hall, same night, same time was a little questionable, I thought. But they turned out to be, I think I watched them both. They, they turned out to actually be fairly informative and, and I think give you a good sense of the candidates. Then of course we had the debate last night. And then I stayed on after, which I hope some people did too, and watched the Lieutenant Governor debate which yeah. uh, is would in a, in a normal year would probably be something that people go, Oh, the Lieutenant governor debate. But if you think about it, there are rumors that Joe Biden, if he wins might select our own governor, Jay Inslee for a cabinet post, which would basically happen in January at some time. And so from January until November, Whoever wins the lieutenant governor race, if, if that were to happen, now Jay Inslee has said, I don't want a cabinet post, and he said all the right things you're supposed to say, but uh, the winner of the lieutenant governor election would be our governor from January at least until November uh, when we'd have a special election and maybe beyond. So the lieutenant governor's race was, was worth watching as well, and that was actually a, a good debate too. I watched about half of it, and uh, I just was a little burnt out. But I thought Heck, sure, sure. Heck did a pretty good job. What were your takeaways? From the lieutenant governor race? I, I think yes. it's always tough when you've, when you've got Democrat racing Democrat, and they're basically trying to distinguish one another, but they basically agree on most positions. I mean, it was kind of a race to prove, no, I'm more liberal than you. No, I'm more progressive. Uh, they, they didn't really have a great deal of daylight between two of them. They did get into some interesting things in terms of where you would cut and what you would cut in terms of this big budget shortfall that's potentially coming because of COVID. And, and that's where I think, uh, but, but here's the thing. If you compare them to the debate that had just happened, or God forbid the debate was, that was three weeks ago, the presidential debate. I mean, everybody was nice. Everybody was kind. Everybody, they, yeah, they took a couple of little jabs at each other, but everything was very, very civil. Uh, it, it, was, it, it was something, a debate you could take home to meet mom. Yeah, I think that's why I found it a little stale, to tell you the truth. I, I, oh. thought, I thought there were some things that were just... A little too transparent, uh, cliche-ish. You know, I'm just going to put out a couple sound bites. Everybody's on their best behavior. Sure. Entertainment Mm. value, I felt like it didn't go fast enough in any direction that was going to change my mind. But there's the problem. See, that's that's the problem right there. Yeah. Is what Trump has done to us, and this is what these people do to us, is they make us look at politics, or maybe they don't make us, maybe we always did, and they just they just throw it into sharp relief, but they they have us looking at politics in terms of entertainment value. Mm-hmm. And and when we when we start doing that, we play 
utterly and totally into his hands. Don't worry about if what, what he said was actually factually true or not. Were you entertained? Don't, don't worry if, if he actually stayed on task and answered the question asked of him. Was it, was it fun to watch and was there blood in the water? And, and, right. that, and, and as soon as we, we do that, we have taken a step down in terms of what we're willing to accept from our leaders. I mean, look, last night's presidential debate was much like, as I've talked about before on here, neither side supporters saw anything that was going to make them go, oh my gosh, I was going to vote for Trump before, but now I think I'm going to go Biden or vice versa. Both sides were throwing red meat out to their base because this is, and it has become, a turnout election. It's not about, are you going to swing people one way or the other? It's, you've got these people who are interested in voting for you. Who is going to get out the largest number of people who would vote for them to actually vote. And it's amazing. Have you seen these early voting numbers? I they're heard crazy. 50 million votes have already been cast. They're crazy. There, there, are, there are stats I've seen out there that potentially as much as a third of all the people who are going to vote at all have already voted. Right. That is wild. We've never seen anything like this. This, so is, did- this is awesome. Did last night swing anybody that was undecided in any fashion? Because I really, I felt like, so I put a little bit of a poll out on Facebook and okay. I I didn't stay anonymous right away. <laughs> I felt like the the debate was a bit of a draw and that was is misconstrued a little bit in saying that, you know, there there's not a winner, not a loser. But I, I think of it as a draw in the capacity that, I don't think either man persuaded the undecided. No, 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 no. And, and who are these undecideds out there? I mean, there's, there, there can't be any, I mean, if you're not, if you are still undecided, you are not paying attention. They're, they're just the, the, the divisions couldn't be more clear. Now there were some very key moments where, especially Joe Biden, I thought, staked out and was willing to really embrace some farther left territory than he has in the past, which I think maybe if you're an AOC person or a Bernie person and you've been a little on the fence of, can I really get behind this fairly centrist Democrat? When he towards the end was talking about eventually defunding the oil industry, you know, forget defund the police, he's going to defund oil. Take, take out the, the subsidies, stop supporting them with government money, eventually transfer all the way to renewable fuels. I mean, that's, that's a big statement, not necessarily to make. It's been on his website. It's been part of his platform. But to say out loud at a debate, and by the way, bet me, right, as soon as he said it, the Trump people were like, oh, that's a commercial. Let's get that going. They had the ad machine going in Pennsylvania and Oklahoma and Texas, you know, Joe Biden's going to come take your jobs. Joe Biden's going to end the oil industry. He was willing to, to say out loud some farther left statements that I think might potentially get some, some Bernie, some AOC folks who were sort of thinking, uh, I, I'm not into this airline food versus hospital food choice. Uh, get them <laughs> off the couch and get them to vote. Yeah. I thought both men made some, some improvements in their pivoting. And I think one of it was about energy and saying that, you know, I'm not coming for your jobs. 
I'm coming to transfer your jobs into renewable energy resource type jobs. So it's not uh, a rape and pillage type thought that, okay, anybody that's involved with petrol, you know, you're in trouble. Yeah, which is, and, and it's a, it's a thing to say. And, and, you know, Clinton was really big on this in terms of, I'm going to wake up every day thinking about you and pump a lot of money into community colleges so you could retrain. But to that wildcat drill worker in the Dakotas, who this is all he's done for 30 years of his work life to tell him, okay, I'm going to put you into a, a factory situation where now you're going to learn how to make solar panels. Uh, that guy hears that and goes, how is that going to work? I, I don't think that's going to work for me. Um, the other but thing to, yeah, sure. Is, is that a, is that a strong voting demographic though? And how many people are accumulative in that voting demographic? Well, the question of course is, is, you know, were those states, are your Texas's, your Oklahoma's, your Dakota's, uh, are the, were those states going to vote for Biden anyway? They're Probably coming for not. you, Ohio. You've, you've got that big red stripe right down the center that doesn't yeah. seem to change. Uh, but of course, there's, as with we're seeing with Boeing right now up in the, 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 the northern counties of, of our own state, it's not just about the people in that industry. It's about the people who feed the people in that industry. It's about the people who uh, have, you know, have their, their movie theaters are patronized by the people in that industry. I mean, there's, yeah. there's these echoes the that go out. It, it gets now. pretty significant. But the, the other thing that was very apparent last night was I thought it was very clear that Trump's people had told him, listen, we've seen the numbers. The way you handled yourself in that first debate did not play well. You've got to be on good behavior tonight. You, you've got to try to be better. Now, granted, that microphone cut helped everything. Loved the microphone cut. But it yeah. was very clear he had been told to behave and was trying to do so at least for the first, oh, let's say two-thirds of the debate. Well, before we get any deeper, let's give all credit to the moderator, uh, Kristen Welker. Best one so far, easily. Best Fabulous so far. job. Now, and, again, she had the microphone. The microphone cut makes all the difference. She right. didn't have what Chris Wallace had to deal with in terms of just that craziness. Um, and Savannah Guthrie, who I think probably was Trump's best debate opponent thus far uh, on the, she was antagonistic on the, on the NBC town hall. She was, well, she wasn't letting him get away with crap. That's the thing. She had probably my favorite line of the entire campaign season when he talked about, it was just a retweet. It's just a, I just retweet things. And she's like, you're not someone's crazy uncle. You're the president of the United States. Mm -hmm. What you do matters. That, that was a, that was a great moment. Um, but you can make, if you, but again, see, this is the thing. He's laid the groundwork that the media hates me. The press is against me. So if you are a Trump supporter, you can basically say he didn't get a fair shot because the media started out his, his, his moderator for all intents and purposes was debating him. Yeah. Uh, it's, and that's it's a self-sealing prophecy. Yeah. I, I think both men uh, cleaned up their act. I mean, they were definitely the old presidential style where Navy suits, one wore, wore a solid blue tie, one wore a solid red tie. And then they were bookends with their wives for pictures at the end and it was gone. It was very stale in that, in that Key matter. word being old. God, there were two old guys up there last night. I think that show, showed a lot. I, I don't know oh, if yeah. you're noticing this, but um, 
in my mind, they both have some cognitive issues. Mm -hmm. I mean, Donald seems to be leaning forward and his hands going up a little bit and he seems to be grabbing it and trying to control it. So the public can't see it. And then Joe just looks gaunt at times and just pale white. And I sit back here and say, this is America's best two options. Well, this is the thing. I, I got to tell you, I, I felt like last night I was watching them run out of gas as the night wore on. Look at the the first. Oh, oh, Biden looked say, at his watch. Yeah, let's the first 20 minutes of the debate versus the last 20 minutes of the debate. Listen, I, I worked as a, a, a music therapist in an Alzheimer's center in Denver, Colorado for about two years um, when I was going through college. And sundowning, they call it, is a, a real thing. Anybody who has dealt with geriatric medicine, who's worked at a facility, who, who has someone in their life or living in their house uh, that they're taking care of who's an, an older American, you know that sundowning is real. The later it gets in the evening, uh, your cognitive f- facilities get challenged. And, and there's tons and tons and tons of research on that. And what I felt like was that I was watching these two guys and as the debate wore on, both of them were struggling with what in debate we call your flow discipline. The flow is the, uh, the flow of arguments in the debate. And are you answering the question that was asked? Can you follow an argument through argument, rebuttal, rebuild, all that? I saw these, both these guys started struggling with their flow discipline really hard. And I'm sitting there going, you know, when you're the president of the United States, sometimes bad things happen at night. Sometimes Iran comes across the Iraq border at night and you have to respond. This is, it did not make me feel good about uh, what the future if either of these two guys get elected in terms of cognitive flow follow. Now, granted, obviously, when you're the president, you're surrounded by advisors and people who are sharp and who are throwing you ideas and all that stuff. But I Or really felt, you're surrounded by people that have no experience, aka well, there's that the too. U.S. Postal Service, yeah, uh, et cetera, but, et cetera. But I, as the debate wore on, I started to feel less and less good about sort of the, the, the future of crisis management if either of these guys, hmm. you know, how, how this is going to work out. All right, let's get to this, some of these topics. Um, before we get any further, I want to give a shout out to Bainbridge Youth Services who held um, a great virtual dinner last night with Greg Nance uh, talking about the need for funding for counseling for kids for COVID times and dealing with depression, addiction, and uh, mental health issues. So great job on them. also want to get you out of here soon so we can – Go watch our adopted team today, Leeds versus Austin Villa. Villa. Go Villa. He's playing at noon. That's right. That's, um, that's right. Undefeated. So COVID was a hot topic, and it should be. Yeah. Um, Lead off. <laughs> I thought Trump had a good line, though, about COVID for the first time. He's like, I, I'm experienced. I've been through it. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So I thought he kind of yeah. whittled that into um, – a good pivot for him. But a couple of days prior, I heard a good one from Obama when he said, you know, you can't even keep COVID away from yourself. How are you right. going to protect the country? 
Wasn't that a great? By the way, did you watch that? You watched the Obama speech in Philadelphia. Wasn't yes, that a great that, speech? That was a killer, yeah. killer speech. That was really good. The you know what? This is that's one of the things because these these guys are very frankly old. Some of the best moments in this campaign are coming from their surrogates. Are coming yeah. from Obama. Are coming if you've if you've watched any of Pete Buttigieg's stuff uh, going on Fox News. He's one of the only Democrats who who go on Fox News. Uh, they're having some terrific, terrific moments. Here's the thing: Biden has surrogates. Biden has these Democrats who are willing to go out and stump for him. Yeah, and where are where are Trumps who are not his family? Right. That's that's the thing. Every every former Democratic president who is still living has come out for Biden. Carter, uh, uh, Clinton, of course, Obama, obviously. Where is George W. Bush? (laughs) We have a Republican president who is still alive. He has not come out and endorsed the current Republican nominee for president. He's the only Republican president, so obviously Gerald Ford did. Uh, his, his father, George H.W. Bush, is, has passed on. There's a, there's a Republican president still alive. Mm-hmm. Where is he? He has gone. So there, there aren't those surrogates. The other thing that, that, as we move into the issues, that I think should overlay this whole thing is the issues were announced in advance. Both the candidates knew what the question topics were going to be. They had a chance. Now, obviously, you kind of know because there are certain big issues in the country right now. But they were told, here's the big topics, here's the big issue. And in fact, it, was, it became this big deal with the Trump campaign. They were like, we don't like these at all. We think we should be talking more about Joe Biden's family. And we don't think that it should be this, this laid out, that we should, this should be more freeform, blah, 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 whatever. They knew the issues. When you know the issues... Not being informed and not having the facts to hand and saying things that are just flat out untrue is even more unforgivable because you knew the questions in advance. So the inability to to bring numbers to hand or the the inability to uh, what do anything but just sort of spout homilies and 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 blame is 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 unforgivable because you knew what the questions were going to be. Yeah. I saw a montage of presidents and it was something to the effect of, I was wrong. I take full responsibility. I am the commander in chief. I screwed up. And Mm -hmm. I I saw Biden say something about that, about the super predator and uh, another issue. I forget what it was, but you know, compare that and contrast that to Donald Trump saying, Oh, it's not my fault. It's China. I take no responsibility. I wouldn't I take have done no anything responsibility. different. I've done no. a wonderful job. No, no, no. You know, it's it's very tough to um, look up to a guy that lacks empathy and is willing to take responsibility for certain things, especially something that you know you cannot deny the impact of the coronavirus globally and especially here in America. Mm-hmm. Now, I see him pivoting a lot of a lot of things like. We'll get back to COVID here in a sec. But for instance, Joe, who built the cages? Who built the cages when he's talking about immigrant families and separations? Well, okay, let's let's give him the benefit of the doubt and say the Democratic Party built these cages. Who then used those cages to put families in and then separate them, right? So you blame one party for something that you're participating in as well. And it's not solution-oriented. 
Well, that that's that's kind of right out of the the playbook uh, for for defensive dictators, right? Accuse the <laughs> accuser. Yeah, that, that's the thing. Always, and I saw that over and over again last night. Whatever you have been accused of, whatever they're pointing fingers at you have, turn right back around and say, "No, you do that." Uh, and it it can be incredibly effective simply because it's confusing. And when people are both confused, they're like, wait a minute, now you're saying, now you've muddied the water at least. You know what it's like? It's like climate change. It's, it's when the, the, the folks like AOC and, and, and all the scientists and everybody says, listen, we have 99 scientists who can show you how the climate is changing. But then the folks who don't want to deal with it say, well, I've found two crackpots working out of their basement who got funding from oil companies. I found two scientists who say it's not. Ha! Now it's a controversy. Yeah. No. 99 to it. 2 is not a controversy, but anything to anything is apparently a controversy, so now we have to deal with it as a controversy. So accusing the accuser is right straight out of the, the, the Goebbels, the Stalinist, the, the, the uh, 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 McCarthy playbook, and the Nixon playbook, because at least you can muddy the water. And when you muddy the water, you're not having to answer. How many times did you see Trump asked about something last night, and he pivoted to Hunter Biden? Yeah. He pivoted to this story that is widely discredited, that has no factual basis that is well, basically attacking family that's what I it's, don't a, it's like an ad hominem it. attack right it is a, which means to the man it, it is an attack it is a personal attack um and, and it's just to muddy the water he he knows darn well this isn't anything but the idea that that this president who has been steeped in scandal for four years who has had most of the members of his first advisory committee and cabinet now either in jail or under indictment. The right. fact that he is pointing his finger at somebody and saying you're corrupt is, is insanely laughable, but accuse the accuser. That's just right out of the playbook. And he muddies the water a bit too, by repeating himself. Like, um, I know Joel Underwood, you know, Joel Underwood and I, uh, if you were to ask who Joel Underwood, you know, he just keeps repeating the the key word that he wants to say yeah. over and over and over until you've lost what his sentence structure even was relative to. Sure. And, and, and the other thing that that does, we have a natural psychological assumption in rhetoric that the things that someone says more often are automatically more important than the things that they say less often. Mm. That's not inherently true, but that's what we we Perceive. intake. If, if somebody just says it over and over and over again, every time they say it, it, it's, it just becomes more and more and more powerful. And, and so, they believe say, it more themselves, right? Right. And say, say fewer things, but say them more often. Yeah, he did that all the time. He made a comment, AOC plus three, and just the left squad. that ha yeah. hanging out there. Like, okay, we all know you're talking about the squad, but what about them, right? They're not the puppeteers of Joe Biden. Right, but it's a hot button for, for middle America and, and the Fox News crowd that believe that these younger, radical, generally female people of darker skin are coming to upset your world and, and you know, change everything that you know and, and that you should be scared of that. It's a dog whistle. Well, just know I think AOC is going to be president someday. Very well could. 
Very uh, well could. To see such a strong woman have so much ambition and the ability to sort things out in a very cognitive, uh, straightforward way and go toe-to-toe and, and take abuse and, and turn it around into something positive. Did you watch her play video games? No. So she went on, do you know what Twitch is? Your kid knows what Twitch is if you don't know what Twitch I is. I do, and uh, shout out to Emily McVicker, um, the mermaid that I watch on Twitch. Um, does Mermaid Pop, who is a friend of our friend Abe. Right, right, right. Yeah, I, mean, uh, I know Emily's in Alaska music. there. So, so the AOC... Twitch is this thing you can go on and you can play video games together and you can watch people play video games and and it's it's kind of a television streaming service, but it's primarily based around gaming. Uh, She announced that she was going to do, AOC was going to do, she was going to play this game called Among Us, which is basically a, it's kind of sort of like Clue, like somebody, Mm -hmm. it's, it's it's a combination video game, but you have to vote somebody off every now and then. It's kind of just a fun little game. She announced she was going to be playing it uh, and basically doing a get out the vote thing uh, to to sort of raise awareness of voting. She announced she was doing it. 400,000 people jumped on, almost broke the damn stream, jumped Mm -hmm. on to watch her play a video game, to watch her play a video game. I mean, yeah, I don't that know what is, that's all about, but my son watches professional athletes do that and professional gamers, and he learns more about a deeper level of the game, and then I mean, that's he loves the she, commentary. She is speaking to a demographic that is upcoming, that is getting registered to vote, that is getting out to vote like never right. before. And I always used to tell my students in civics class, the 18 to 25-year-old vote in this country they claim they are ignored. You are ignored because you let them ignore you. If every 18 to 25 year old in this country voted, this country would change overnight. Mm-hmm. You want to, you want a revolution, have every 18 to 25 year old in this country vote. Well, I, I think every 18 to 25 year old is not l- interested in listening to grumpy old white men go at it, you know? Well, I mean, which is why she's powerful. I mean, yeah. she is someone who, who they can look at and go, oh, that's me. That's mm, somebody's re- relative. Yeah. Same way with Pete Buttigieg. They look at him and they go, okay, that's that's kind of me. I can mm. and and that's these are going to be the people who are going to lead the Democratic Party going forward. That's very very well said because um, I look for commonalities in my leaders, like what's relatable to me, and mm. I look at the, some people like Cory Booker and Andrew Yang and Mayor Pete. Mm. And AOC, they all have certain qualities that I admire and that are relatable. Mm. Um, let's get back to COVID real quick. Um, <laughs> I'm sure those checks are coming, everybody. Um, oh, God. Any any minute now, and uh, those checks are not coming for you, but other than big businesses. This is a debacle. Um, I don't care if only 1% die. You know, what has happened since I think March, St. Patrick's Day, I think it's when I closed the studio down and uh, haven't been back since. Money's gone, work's gone. There doesn't seem to be a clear path. Um, there's some hack medicine going around this. Um, there's a rush to the moon for a vaccine, basically. And it just doesn't seem promising. And yes, there's a lot of. Um, depression, alcoholism, divorce, 
There's also a lot of great things coming out of it that we're forced to spend time with our loved ones and, and reevaluate what's important and what's not. And just to kind of settle down, take a deep breath. Um, how do you see a solution by one of these two men to get this under control? And what's that look like? Well, the chilling thing that I think should give us all just a, uh, a, a terrible feeling of feet walking over our grave is we heard the White House over the last two weeks start seriously talking about the concept of herd immunity. And herd immunity, that is for all intents and purposes a white flag. That is the powers that be saying, well, listen, I, I, guess, I guess everybody who's going to get exposed to this thing is going to get exposed to this thing and we'll see how it goes. And eventually we'll all be immune. Well, let's do some herd immunity math. Most of the <laughs> stats that you see on herd immunity say you need to get between 60 to 70% infection rate to get to herd immunity. All right. Now take that by the population of our country. So now you're talking about about 200 million people having to get infected. Now, right now, and again, there's some variation on age and health here, but we, we get a sense that the death rate, once you're infected on this thing, is somewhere around between 2 and 2.5%. Now, obviously, that varies in terms of age and your prior health. Regardless, that's millions of deaths. You're talking about 4 to 5 million Americans dying. 4 to 5 million. I mean, it, just take, that's, that's the population of some states. You're talking about a, a massive amount of death, and, and it is, for all intents and purposes, a white flag. When you hear somebody talking about herd immunity, what you should basically hear is, well, we should, just, should all just do what we want, live like we were willing to live, open the schools, open the restaurants, open the movie theaters, do everything the way we were going to do it, because there's nothing we can do. We should just just say, listen, everybody who's going to get exposed to this is going to get exposed to it. And uh, the sooner, the better, so we can get herd immunity and get on with our lives. It's incredibly Darwinian. It's incredibly survival of the fittest. And that is, if you've got a senior citizen in your life, if you've got somebody who is immunocompromised in your life, who's been through chemo or radiation or anything that compromises the immune system, it's it's just massively, massively scary. Yeah, and um, I think if it doesn't affect you, you have a different perspective. You know, I I gravitate with Joe in there is a empty plate in our family, right? We've lost a loved one. It, it's real as it can get. Yes, there's underlying conditions and and such, but we go to war all the time, and you think about the collateral damage and the death, it doesn't seem to compare with what's going on just locally, domestically in, in but we COVID. Choo- but we choose to go to war. See, there's a difference there. We make mm. a cho- When we send troops somewhere, we make a choice to do that. And the people that we send have made a choice to put their lives in harm's way. When you sign up for the armed forces, you know that there might come a day where you are asked to sacrifice your life for your country, for what you're doing. That is a voluntary choice. People volunteer. Nobody volunteers to get COVID. Nobody mm-hmm. volunteers to take in, to intake a, a biological enemy. There's a big difference between the voluntary and the involuntary there. That, that just, 
again, most people can't picture it. I think you're exactly right that these numbers at a certain point, they start wallowing our way every day. Thousand people every day, 70,000 new cases every day. These numbers start to become meaningless. You know, it was interesting when we had the cafe, uh, a lot of the first responder guys, like the, the local EMTs and the cops and stuff would come in and get lunch at our place. And we would talk about COVID and we would talk about what's going on. And they said, you know, there's an interesting psychological phenomenon that most people, the largest number of people they can picture in their heads realistically is their high school graduating class. That is the, the most people they can imagine knowing and caring about. Now, granted, anybody who's been to CenturyLink for a full Seahawks game can imagine 80,000 people because you've been there. But you don't know and care about all those 80,000 people. You, you just can't. But whatever your high school graduating class was, you can visualize and picture and care about that number of people. When they tell us that 200,000, what, what is it now, 220, heading for 225,000 people have died, that is a number that just we shut down over. Mm-hmm. We, we can't comprehend that. We can't comprehend having empathy and caring for that many people. That's, a, that's just a massive amount. And at a certain point, it just becomes a number. And, and that's what I think when Trump says things like, it is what it is. That's rhetorically what he counts on, is that we just can't process all that coming at us. At some point, we just shut down and we say, well, I'm okay. My immediate family's okay. So I'm going to vote for the status quo. Mm-hmm. So do, do you think Trump has outlined any type of plan that we can feel confident about? And do you think Biden's idea of we're going to wear masks, social distance, and shut down if we need to shut down, but we're going to do the proper things. Uh, do we have a leadership? I mean, I look at Mike Pence and he's supposed to be in charge of this whole thing. And it seems like he was in charge for a day. Yeah. And then Trump came out with his daily press conferences. And I don't want to say that he's a liar, but he definitely misleads the public when it comes to COVID. And it's, it's going on, you know, eight, nine months of him deflecting and misleading the general public and I don't feel like there's any confidence of an idea of how we're going to move forward. Well, it, it's, it's not so much. I, th- I think we get caught up in this idea of a plan. You got to have a plan, plans this, plans that. There, there's a plan in place. I mean, people, there are people who deal with this for a living. There are folks like the CDC and the World Health Organization who deal with pandemics, who are heroes, who go and are the first people in and the last people out of the Ebola River area in, in Africa. I mean, there, there are people who know how to do this. But it's we've, not, we've dislodged ourselves from the, both those organizations, that's haven't the, we? That's the point, is it's not so much about having a plan, as in, okay, when this happens, I'm going to do this. It's about who are you going to listen to? Are you going to listen to people who do this professionally? Are you going to listen to people who do research and science and have studied this? Or are you going to listen and, if you're the president, retweet People who are on the steps of the White House talking about demon blood and talking about, well, maybe we should we should inject 
uh, bleach and and do this sort of stuff because you have as being no, sarcastic, Joel. Because you have no answer, right? Oh, and he talked about that. Listen, oh, I was being sarcastic. Most people don't make that distinction. There are people out there who can't read get that sarcasm. Yeah, um, it's like so, common sense. Not everybody can get sarcasm, right? So it, it's not so much about. I think we get caught up so much in having a plan. Give me a plan. It's a plan. The plan is who are you going to listen to? And I think this gets at a, a deeper issue that that the Trump years have have really brought out, which is a distrust of expertise, a distrust of education, a distrust of intelligence. The idea that if you've gone to college for something and you have a master's and a PhD and you have a title after your name, well, that must make you think that you're smarter than me, that you're better than me, that you make, you know, you make more money than me and, and therefore you are automatically distrusted. And what it has led us to is this place where when something does happen, like a pandemic or, or like an economic crisis, we feel like everybody's opinion is just as valid as everybody else's. And it's not. Some people have education. Some people have training. Some people do this for a living. Look, uh, I, I know that I like soccer. I like Aston Villa. I'm a fan. I would never presume if I were sitting around watching a soccer game with you and your background that my opinion on what I'm seeing on the TV on whether Jack Grealish is good enough to really be a Premier League star player is anywhere in the same universe as yours because you've played the game. You've been on that field at a level that I can't even comprehend. I would never assume that my opinion and yours in that area is equal. And yet we have a country now that has a massive distrust of people with experience, people with credentials, people with training, because they see it as a threat. And that's something in terms of COVID, in terms of climate change, in terms of our economy, in terms of international affairs, we are going to have to deal with and get past, or we are doomed because then you've got just anybody who can step up to the wheel of the ship and try to steer. Mm -hmm. I, I, I heard some type of analogy in soccer, believe it or not. Um, a good coach is like a bus driver. You got to find out who's going, who's the best driver and get the team on the bus and then decide who really belongs on that bus. Mm. And I was like, Hey, that's, that's a little deep right there. And yeah. by the way, Jack can do anything he wants. Um, he's top flight player and he should stay at Villa. That's if my you stay today. so, yeah, that's, that's, that's it. Um, I just, I, he's got great hair. <laughs> well, you and I can say that about a lot of people. That's true. That's true. God, I miss my soul glow. Rick James <laughs> juice on my top of my silk shirts. Um, oh, love the eighties. Shout out to the eighties. Um, I want my hair back. Um, taxes and helping families. How do you think um, the new four-year cycle is going to go? Are we going to look at both these guys as people that are going to change the tax system, uh, mass exodus from California and the rich people and 60% tax? Mm -hmm. Are the moderate earners going to be taxed more? Is there help coming from the government in COVID relief this year? Well, I need answers, Joel. I know you do. I need a um, dollar. I mean, again, 
it, it almost does the American people a disservice when you when you slice these up into, okay, Mr. President, Mr. Biden, I'd like to move on to the next topic right now. I'd like to move on to the next topic right mm. now. These aren't separate topics. I mean, what happens with the economy is going to be all about COVID and, and, and very frankly, all about healthcare. Healthcare is, is the great uh, uh, landmine in the economic system. So to sort of look at these as separate, well, th- this, this candidate can be strong on COVID, but I don't really like what he says about the economy. No, they're the same thing. They are, it's, it's all interwoven right now. Um, we are at a point where a great deal of hay is being made by the Republicans about Biden's promise to, re- to repeal the Trump tax cuts saying that, oh, well, you know, Joe Biden's going to raise your taxes. And then, of course, you've got Joe Biden and, and Kamala Harris coming out and saying, no, nobody who makes under $400,000 a year is going to see their taxes raised. We're just raising it on uh, uh, multi-hundred-thousandaires and billionaires. So it depends on kind of what do you think there. Uh, it does feel like every 30 years we have to go through this cycle again where we retry the Republicans' idea of what is, for all intents and purposes, trickle-down, supply-side, whatever you want to call it, where if we cut taxes and let the people at the top have more of their money, they'll start businesses and that'll make jobs and that'll do it. And we try that again every 30 to 40 years and we find out, oh, that's right, that doesn't work. That's why we did that. Um, it's kind of like uh, Larry Miller used to have a, a great bit where he talks about getting back together. Great comedian. Oh yeah, he was great. He talks about uh, getting back together with with someone that you've you've broken up with or divorced. He's like, that's like reaching into the refrigerator, pulling out milk, opening it up, and going, "Oh my God, that milk's gone bad!" And then waiting a second and going, "Well, maybe tomorrow it'll be good," and put it back in the fridge. That's basically what we've done with trickle down and supply side policies. We, we just keep having to do that every 30 to 40 years. And this is basically what Biden is saying with the Trump tax cuts is he's going to repeal those. He's going to get the corporate tax rate back up to where it, it has been very frankly, under certain Republican administrations. Uh, he, he's going to close some loopholes and, and make it harder for you to do offshore banking, all that stuff and, and try to grow us from a more middle out perspective. The idea that uh, we're all better off when we're all better off, as they say. Isn't so, Donald have multiple international banking situations like China? And oh, Deutschland? We're, we're finding out something new every day. I mean, there's the there's the Chinese account. There's the Saudi Arabian stuff. Uh, uh, we, we're still not quite sure who he owes four hundred and twenty million dollars to. Again, we had the we had to have the the whole argument again last night. If you noticed about release your tax returns, release your tax tax returns. Well, I'm under audit, so I can't do it. By the way, there is no IRS rule that says when you are under audit, you can't have your tax returns and you can't release your tax returns. Yeah. That's a dodge. That's a dodge. Um, but, and I think it goes to, uh, sorry to interrupt, but no, no. Um, like Obama saying, well, just how can you lead if you can't take care of your own finances? How are you going to take care of America's finances? Health-wise, if you can't stay healthy, how are you going to provide the proper health care for, for Americans? Mm-hmm. I mean, his actions, and this is why I think the tax returns are important. You know, is there more misleading going on, you know, in his own world? And, and does that have a direct 
effect on on the average American person. And if he's gaming a system of of taxation, you know, what makes us think that we shouldn't game the taxation situation? Yeah, I mean, well, listen, uh, a great coach, you talk about coaching advice, what coaching is, uh, a great debate coach once told me when I was just starting out, you must model whatever it is you're going to ask for from your team. That's parenting and, and, too, right? And he, uh, t- parenting too. He, and he, he said, listen, if, if you want them all to show up on time for the bus every, every Saturday morning, you have to show up on time all the time. Mm-hmm. If, if you want them to be focused during scrimmages and practice, you have to be focused and not on your phone during scrimmages and practices. If you wish discipline, you must be disciplined. That's, right. that's, that's key. And in the same way, uh, you know, when people look at the president and he's having this mass super spreader event, to introduce a new Supreme Court justice nominee, he's not wearing a mask. Nobody there is wearing a mask. When your local governor, when your local mayor says, hey, everybody's got to wear a mask, guys, it makes it incredibly hard for these people to do their jobs because Mm -hmm. what have they got? They've got this big chunk of the population watching TV and they say, hey, the most important person arguably in the world is not wearing a mask and not making the people around him wear masks. So why should I? Moreover, he kind of took the responsibility away from himself and saying each individual state governor can do what they want in, in policing the COVID situation. But then and do then, you notice what he does? Then he attacks democratic yes. governors and says, all oh, these States where the, where the Democrats are governors, these democratic mayors, that's where everything goes to hell. So it's like, okay, which is it? You're the president of the country. Is, right. is it that everybody gets to do what they want or only the people who agree with you should do what they want? And it, that's where the division comes from. Yeah. And one of the things I think Biden did a really good job last night, it had been clear, uh, obviously he had been coached, that whenever Trump tried to, well, these Democratic governors, oh, these Democratic mayors, oh, and these Democratic states where things are going bad, he would always come back with, hey, I don't see red states and blue states. I yeah. see the United States. Hey, love we're all together. Line. I'm going to be the president of everybody who voted for me, and I'm going to be the president of everybody who didn't vote for me. He's, he's cast himself as a uniter, not, and Trump is the divider. And, that was and, the best moment for me last night. Well, I, and, and the stats are very clear when you look at people who are being surveyed in polls. They're tired. They're mm-hmm. tired of this crap. They're tired of, I hate you and you hate me. And I think you're coming for my money and you're coming for my guns. And I think you're a hick and an awful you know, person. We want someone who can potentially just bring us together. Now, can that be done is a whole separate argument. But we're tired. We're exhausted by the fighting. And so Biden has clearly staked out the ground, has stuck his flag in the ground of when Trump talks about red and blue and Republicans and Antifa and all this, I'm going to talk about all of us being together and going through this together. I think it's a smart move. Yeah, for sure. And there's a lot of misleading going on and less unification for sure. I felt like uh, when it came to climate control, there, there's a lot. That's a huge unpacking. Mm. But they seem to be stuck on fracking. Fracking is, isn't the greatest thing. Um, he clarified that he w- didn't want natural resources to be f- fracked. On federal lands. Federal yeah, lands, federal yeah. Federal lands is what he, he was. He was a little misleading in what he spoke um, regarding fracking. 
what bothers me a bit is Donald came after him and said, okay, you, you said no fracking. Now you want fracking. What does Donald want? He wants to frack. Oh, he wants yeah. to go frack crazy. Oh, frack. Yeah. yeah so yeah. like it, once again, he, like he does a lot of times, he blames other people for things that he should be doing, like taking a lead in this COVID situation. Um, and when it came to fracking, him arguing about the semantics of Joe's, um, you know, surrounding what Joe had ta- said about fracking, whether it was going to get phased out or he was going to support it or it was going to be supported in a, in a different minimalist type way was like very hypocritical in my mind because I know Trump is stumping for those frackers. Hey, you're going to keep your job. We're going to frack more than ever. Just like coal miners, just like oil yeah. well guys. Yeah. And the, the problem with this is in a, in a social media world, in, a, in an internet world where we can go back and literally find everything you've ever said in public, you are going to have problems as a politician if you try to play both sides of the fence. As John Kerry showed us, I was for the bill before I was against it. You know, you, pick a side. You got you to gotta pick a side. And, and we saw, it's interesting, we saw Joe Biden do that at the end of the night with oil. I'm going to stop subsidizing oil. I'm going. I mean, these are strong statements. I'm going to stop subsidizing oil. We're going to move from oil to a more renewable. We have to do this. Mm-hmm. And yet, with fracking, and it's because a lot of fracking happens in Pennsylvania, and Pennsylvania's big swing state. A lot mm-hmm. of jobs, a lot of people who feed and and clothe frackers. But he is unwilling to do that there, aside from federal lands, with with fracking. And when you when you try to to sit right on the fence, fence yeah. you and I both know sometimes you're going to slip, and it's not going to be good when either one of your legs falls down to either side, and and that's kind of <laughs> what, what fracking has done to him, and mm-hmm. and it just it stuns me as I sat there and, and watched it. He is willing to take this very very strong, decisive position on ending oil now. Maybe we're going to find out later that that was a mistake and he's going to try to backtrack. I hope not because I think it'll, it'll hurt him. But that he's willing to take that strong position there, which I would argue is much more risky, much more economically and, and electorally difficult. And yet with fracking, he's caught in this sort of betwixt and between, well, I know that some people in my party are saying it's awful and does damage the environment and causes earthquakes, but I think if it can be done safely, it's all right. And he's caught in this maze of his, of his own making in his own words. And yet with oil, he's willing to be so, bam, we got to get done. We got to get rid of it. And I think what you're going to see eventually is he's going to have to take the the same stand on. He's going to have to make a decision on fracking. And I think the subsidies that. need to go over to solar and wind and tidal power and stuff like that as as well. I thought it was burst out funny when Donald was like, "I know wind." wind kills birds and i was just like how do you retread that quote in this situation but see again we're back to who do you listen to it's not about having a plan no president really has plans for things what they do is is presidents surround themselves with hopefully expertise presidents surround themselves with people and then they listen to those people 
which is why the, the Trump administration has been has been so awful and chaotic, because a president basically is, as Nixon taught us, who you surround yourself with. History is chock full of presidents who may have been decent guys, but have chosen to surround themselves with crooks and idiots. Ulysses S. Grant comes to mind. Uh, uh, obviously, Richard Nixon. Um, on the other side, you can look at Lincoln. Was Lincoln that much greater than everybody else? Or did Lincoln, as Doris Kearns Goodwin put forward in her wonderful book, Team of Rivals, which everybody should read if you haven't, uh, did he was he brilliant enough to surround himself with honest, honorable, brilliant people who disagreed about things. Mm -hmm. And then he would listen to the take and then he would make the call. That's what great presidents do. That's what Kennedy did. That, that, to a certain degree, Reagan did a, a decent job with that. Surrounding yourself with expertise, you listen to people and then you make the call. All right. If you're surrounding yourself with people who are either under indictment, in prison, going to prison, or in their more lucid moments, telling you it's okay if you say that windmills give you cancer, that's who you are. Or they lay on a bed and just say they're tucking in their shirt. What the heck is up with that? Oh, man. So we got like people like Roger Stone and oh, Reddy Rudy um, right around there. And then we have incredible people like Mitch McConnell and... Um, Oh, and these God. are people who are being listened to. They are yeah. being listened to in the halls of power. That's that's what should frighten us. If these people were going on to late night talk shows and and saying funny things, or even on Fox News or MSNBC or whatever, and and were there kind of as entertainment or like Dennis Miller punchline value, that would be one thing. These mm -hmm. are people who are walking the halls of power and be Larry Kudlow. Is, is in the White House and being listened to like a serious human being. Mm -hmm. Donors. Hey, you donate enough money, you get a job. And, and let's, let's be honest. Trump did not invent that. Okay. Right. A, a campaign finance and, and donation leading to jobs in the White House has, has never been uh, a, a, not a thing. thing. In fact, I, I, we talk about Abraham Lincoln here. I mean, Abraham Lincoln... Who's what done more for the blacks, Joel? Oh, God. And I'm the least racist person in the room. Did you catch that one? Three um, times I'm the least was, racist. I'm the least racist. Crazy. I'm the least pre <laughs> racist if, president. Pre Abraham Lincoln was one of the first presidents who ever had a retreat, like uh, Camp mm, David yeah, yeah. or something, except he had Soldier's Home, which is outside of, of Washington, D.C. And one of the main reasons he had it is because there was a point uh, when during his presidency uh, where he would wake up in the morning, it was much easier to walk into the White House then. It wasn't secure like it is now. He would wake up and go into his office, and there would be lines of people going out his office door, out and around the block, and it was all job seekers. It was all people who wanted this post office job or that court job or that whatever. That is the primary thing that the president does. The president doesn't actually, by the Constitution, by Article 2, have a ton of power. The main thing the president does is staffing and hiring people. He picks people for jobs. He nominates people for Supreme Court and an appellate court post. He hires postmasters. He, do, he does all sorts of things. He has jobs that he can hand out. That is, that is basically the, the biggest power that the president has. And, and some of them are huge jobs and some of them are ambassadorships, things like mm -hmm. that. And so... Again, who you surround yourself with 
as a president is who you are. Because right, really and he surrounded himself with dirt. I'm sorry. I he, think yeah. Um, I want to get back to what you think about the justice that he um, nominated, but I think I, I try to get out there, and I don't think we're by far any experts, or this is where you, everybody should get their political information. This is just a civil discourse of speaking about politics and trying to understand them better. Sure. Yeah. Um, I think. The one person, and I'll listen to somebody like Ben Shapiro um, every day and get that side of it. Uh, Jimmy Dore is another one that I go to to listen to. Um, As well as, you know, I give no interviews to CNN, but 115 to Fox. Uh, I got to kind of balance that out, even though he doesn't. The one staff person that I I have a little bit of respect for that got away that I don't think should have was Sarah Huckabee. Sanders was that her name? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The the communication dr- director was that her mm-hmm. her job yeah, title? She's, she's come for a while. Yeah, I thought that she had um, reliability and stability in that position, and that she didn't take shit from anybody. Although she was toting the company line, she toted it with uh, strength, confidence, and not so much um, an adversarial type role. Like believe this because I said it you disagree with me i'll start fighting with you publicly right away and there was so many so much changeover in his staff and i felt like she was there for a good two years even though she was working for him i thought she did her job pretty well any thoughts on that that post has been if you're a harry potter fan that post has been the defense against the dark arts teacher like they can't they can't keep anybody and and by the way that that's not it's weird in a single administration to have this many, it's not weird for that post to change every now and then because it is an incredibly stressful post to mm-hmm. go in to that room and with those, you know, that, that sea of, of barking hyenas and throw red meat. And especially in this adversarial white house, um, they've been through, I mean, I mean, look what had they've been through. Nobody remembers, but Scaramucci was a was that for about wasn't he that for like three weeks? Yeah, something no, like was, that. I think it was three days. And then they've uh, you know they've got the the current gal McInerney, and then uh, there was She's horrible. The, and then the guy who went on uh, he was so damaged and freaked out he had to go on Dancing with the Stars to sort of clear it from his mind. Um, that's, that's a tough job. That's a really yeah. tough job. And so I had respect for, her. but to go through this many in just one four year term is, is somewhat extraordinary. And it, I think it, it speaks to, again, if you're going to set your job up as, as every day, I'm going to go in and it's you versus me. That's incredibly exhausting. Whereas you've seen other press secretaries in the past who, they have sort of set up their job as, listen, I'm going to be your funnel into the White House. I am going to be your information conduit Filter, yeah. and, and keep it manageable because there's so much coming at you. And and again, it's, it's, it bespeaks of what does any given president see the press's job as? If you see the press's job as to inform the American people, to get your message out, so that the people can either support you or let you know that they disagree with you, then that press secretary job is basically just an information channel. If you see the press as out to get you, 
if you see them as trying to bring you down, to Mm -hmm. reveal your secrets, to come after you, well, then, of course, your voice in that room is going to walk in every day and see it as an adversarial, gladiatorial standoff. Why do you think he felt felt that way this week when he went on 60 Minutes and abruptly left the interview? Not only did he abruptly leave the interview, he broke the NDA and has published the uh, the and has put out the unedited footage uh, mm-hmm. of of the whole thing uh, because he felt like he didn't look good. Look again, this is a president who's been so on. So you TV. replay you not looking good. <laughs> well, no, you 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 basically say he knows nobody's going to watch that whole thing. He's basically saying, look, I'm going to put out the big unedited version, and what he's saying then is, I know that they are going to edit it to make me look bad. Again, when 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 the media is your enemy. When the press is your enemy, mm-hmm. your primary playbook is they're out to get me. Well, he they're went after her like she was soft on Joe Biden and right. super hard on him. And she just kept reminding him, hey, I've never interviewed Joe Biden. What are you talking right. about? All right. It's He's like that. It, I'm done. Yeah, it's it's you, you, and and the thing is, look at him, look at him in the polls, look at his standing, look what's being said about him. You you know, you're a, you're a sports guy. Who who's generally complaining about the refs, the team that's winning or the team that's losing? Right. Who's who's up? You know, screaming in the refs' face, the guy who's about to get the yellow card or the red card, or the guys who are up three zero. And he's been screaming for a long time. Yeah, voter fraud. Uh, Democrats are hacking the election. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to fair shank shank. <laughs> That's coming. Uh, shake with the press. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because again, all great conspiracy theories are self sealing. The idea is if so, when they say something bad about me, it's because they're out to get me. And whenever they they have a, a problem with me or something like that, or they say that I've gotten a fact wrong or some new information comes out, well, it's because they're out to get me. And if you believe it, maybe you're part of the conspiracy too. Yeah, he's very it's, defensive. It's it's yeah, it's not an attractive look. Um, immigration, race, national security. Let's talk some national security and wind this up. Sure. We got some players in Iran, Russia, China. Mm. Uh, we got this Iran nuclear deal kind of hanging out there, the China trade. Um, I don't really know if Ukraine and Russia are really messing with this election like people think, but um, what do certain countries have to, to, to gain by manipulating or giving disinformation out? And who do you think these countries want to see as the American president? Well, countries who see us as against their interests, whether their interests are expanding their power base in Eastern and Central Europe, if you're Russia, or expanding their economic base in the world, if you're China, if you see the United States as uh, against you in that, anything that destabilizes the United States, that makes us think about ourselves internally versus you externally is a good thing. Anytime we're in chaos is good because we're not focused on you. We're focused on ourselves. So it's, it's, it's right out of the, the KGB manual. What, what Putin is doing. If you want to destabilize a country, 
and you want to, to weaken your enemy, the first thing you do is not roll the tanks across the border, is not put the bombers in the air. The first thing you do is wreck Weaken. people's con- confidence in their democratic institutions. Make them think that their elections are rigged and not real. Make them think that the banks are taking all their money and keeping it and, and making themselves rich on their own yachts. Make them feel that they're, they're police and legal systems are unjust. And when you make them feel that way, when you make the majority, there's a critical mass. When you make the, a critical mass of people no longer have faith in their democratic institutions, you've weakened democracy. And when they're thinking about that, they're not thinking about you. And so therein lies what I think Putin is doing in terms of Russia. Obviously, it's it's what China's doing in terms of economic competition. Uh, now we're now we're hearing what is it, Iran? Now Iran is jumping in and trying to do uh, hacking and trying to do disinformation. They see opportunity, don't they? Yeah, and and they see us as as somebody who is against them uh, getting nuclear weapons and becoming a dominant force in the region, and very frankly, being on the side of their great enemy which is Saudi Arabia. That's, that's what so few people uh, understand about the Middle East right now is, is really, unless you have a, a really good understanding of Sunni versus Shia Islam and what the differences are, uh, there's really only two teams to join in the Mideast. You're kind of either on Team Iran or Team Saudi Arabia. We have picked, for better or for worse, we've picked Team Saudi Arabia. We're on it and they do horrible things and they throw... Uh, people who are gay off off roofs, and they are horrible to women, and they have terrible human rights abuses. But have we, we chosen them because of the oil? Yes, primarily, and because of uh, what happened in the seventies in terms of the Ayatollah Khomeini and and our hostages and and what happened there. We we felt that that was a virulent stream of Islam that was was something we didn't want to get behind. Well, we were generally okay with human rights abuses and undemocratic Saudi Arabia. And now, I mean, those are the, those are the two teams. You're, you're a Cowboys fan or you're a, you're, you're a Giants fan. I mean, there's no, there, there's no other team. And so we, for better or for worse, have decided that, that our horse is Saudi Arabia and that is problematic morally for us sometimes. And it has put us squarely against the Iranian, uh, the, the, the Iranian, theocracy and that power all right um i'm going to give you a couple takeaways or observations that i had and then i'd like you to give some general observations hit me yeah all right i hit you um there was a couple gaffes i've if i'm hearing things right i heard donald called joe jim twice i heard um joe refer to the proud boys as poor boys yeah saw that um that Donald had a couple statements that just kind of blew me away. Um, one being about the immigrants and the lower IQs. Those are the ones that keep coming back to America. And then about his, I'm the least racist guy in the world. Um, I look out in this audience. I don't even think if anybody was in the audience, but it's so dark in here. I can't even see color. Yeah, I can't. Oh, I was just like, that is tasteless right there. Also felt like Joe made a couple um, blunders in 
taking a super deep breath, like, oh, I'm so exhausted talking to this guy. And mm-hmm. then looking at his watch and then continuing to stare at it, like, how many more minutes do I have to be around this this guy? Yeah. That didn't look like old, tired, presidential material if I've ever seen it. Um, Trump saying the IRS treats him unfairly. I think that goes against everybody that doesn't have money and that paid more than $750 filing fee for their IRS tax bill. Not to mention he runs the IRS. Yeah. (laughs) He's the commander in chief. So at what point do we say this is false, say this is a lie, or say this is misleading? Is it all perspective from whoever's hearing the information? Or is there a campaign of outright outright deception by either one of these guys i i don't know if you'd call it deception i just i just think again and we've talked about this before at these microphones he feels like he can just say stuff just mm-hmm. just say stuff again when when you tell one lie you're going to get taught caught when you tell 50 it's just going to start washing over yeah. people and, and he just says stuff you know the the biden thing the the other biden thing that that just drove me crazy was come on come on come on man come on yeah he fit, how many different questions did he do yeah, his answer clown. and blah 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 and he did it and then just come on it's like yeah. that's not a rhetorical device i'm sorry showing that you're upset or you're, you're angry is not a rhetorical device what would you rather say instead of come on why don't in fact you you call him on it and then offer an alternative right one of the main things that we teach in debate is four point rebuttal right repeat the opponent's argument say what's wrong with it then basically you're going to offer an alternative you're going to say wait a minute here's here's what the fact that you ought to believe instead and then show impact right what well, what happens if you go with my idea instead of his but just mm-hmm. sort of saying he's wrong and this is this horrible thing he said come on that's not rebuttal you got to right. rebut that's that's the killer thing i can translate that into basketball refereeing if you would like um when refereeing a basketball game the first thing you're supposed to do is blow the whistle at the foul. Okay. Then it's to do nothing but get your cognitive uh, recall back and say, that player, that direction, the foul, and then the consequence. Interesting. So when you blow the whistle, you'll see a ref start to walk towards the scorer's table Yeah. to say it's number two or whatever. That is just... Um, semantics to organize the thoughts in your head so you don't rush and make a mistake that's cool i did not know that is cool a b c d kind of after effect right 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 blow the whistle yeah find the player the direction infringement consequence but again that's what that's why debating somebody like a trump is so difficult in its own way because no matter what your game plan is he take can take you out of it now granted right. he could do less of that last night because of the mic cuts you know the fact that they they cut his and uh, there was only two times i saw trump try to speak into a dead mic which mm. you know he tried to i thought i was going to see more of that i felt but, like the just the fear of it being there because that looks um, so bad right that looks so it. stupid to to like talk into a mic and nobody hears you it looks so impotent and and so i didn't really see him do that that much but 
one of the things that 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 takes out that interrupting that he does it's planned it's a tactic it's, yeah it's, it's a tactic it is to take you out of your game plan it is to take you out of rebuttal and, and again we've talked about this before to keep we're doing a lot of sports metaphors today i don't know why but we we've talked Football about friday playing, joel we, we've talked <laughs> about uh in soccer playing letting letting the other team play in front of your own goal even if they're not scoring, it's dangerous. You don't want mm. the game to be played there. And and look at how often he was coming after Hunter Biden, Russia. There, you know, three point five million dollars. What happened? What? Even if he doesn't score any points with that, all the time that we're talking about that, we're not talking about him. All the time that we're talking about that, we're not talking about Mike Flynn and Paul Manafort and Russia and and the fact that you've been impeached. And all the time, even if you don't actually land any of those punches, all the time we're talking about that, we're not talking about you. So it's kind of a win. And that's what he counts on. Mm-hmm. All right, Joel. It's been a great 24 hours. <laughs> I always find solace in talking to you afterwards. Oh, uh, you too, man. And and the next time we talk, I bet it's all going to be, well, I was about to say it's all going to be over, but who knows? Yeah, you may be talking to me on Zoom from another country. Who knows? They, they, both, have, uh, they both have armies of lawyers in all the big states getting ready to challenge election results, say this 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 polling place was funky that that place didn't count these ballots i mean they they could tie things up in the courts for a while it's it's going to be especially for biden and i don't think this is fair but it's going to take a massive victory it's going to take for trump to actually just concede and go away he's going to have to win by millions and millions and millions of votes. And, and that's not, I I don't like that the Democrats have, have allowed that standard that they just have to win by one vote, but we have to win by 17 million votes to make it a real win because Mm -hmm. the bar is just higher, but you and I, it could be, we could be cutting into Turkey before we, we have a, a, a presidential winner. It could be a while before you and I uh, uh, rehash this election. We'll see. Hey, I'll wait as long as it takes, as long as it's a, it's a fair and honest election and that um, there's not a bunch of, I'm going to have to wait regardless because I really can't influence anything after the fact. There's but not a bunch long, of malarkey as Joe would say. Yeah. Malarkey. I actually like some of his catchphrases like, come on, man. And malarkey. Malarkey. And I saw that there was a drinking game. There was two shots for every time he said malarkey. Oh, really? <laughs> That's good. I like that. People are creative that way. There you go. We got anything you want to feature or talk about or going on? Uh, not, not too much, man. I mean, I think we're all, let's see, by the time you get this posted, uh, my bet is we'll probably be, what, 10 days out from the election. So I'll, all I would do is if, if anybody's listening to this anywhere and you have not voted yet, you have not, you know, done what what we so take for granted here in Washington, which is easily open your ballot, fill it out, and then pop it back in the mail. It's so easy to vote here, and it's easy to check that your vote got counted. Do do both those steps. If there's anybody listening to you and me right now, and they haven't done it, please. I know it's easy to think that you live in Washington and this state's going to go blue. And so my vote doesn't really count and all that. It, it doesn't matter. It's a habit. It's a muscle that you got to, if you haven't done it, please, please, please 
uh, do it. And if you have voted and you're getting a little crazy because you're like, man, there should be a button that once I voted, I don't have to see these ads on Facebook anymore. I don't have to see these ads on TV anymore. I get it. I understand. But maybe there's somebody in your life who hasn't voted that you need to, to mm-hmm. call them up or ask them if they have, can I help you uh, get to your, you know, gr- hey, grandma, can I help you open your ballot? Can I walk you through it? I know it's not like it used to be. There might be somebody that you need to help vote. But if you're listening to us right now and you haven't done it, please, please, please don't, don't take it for granted. Do it. Yeah, well said, Joel. Hey, um, Podcastville, you've been listening to The Bystander. I appreciate all the submissions of spoken word, rap, essays, uh, poetry that's coming in. I got uh, something special for you, Joel, a song called MAGA by Peaceful Pender. It's going to take us out. Um, Thank you for your time, Joel. Hey, Uh, thank you, man. You guys have been listening to the Bystander Podcast. Be kind.